and welcome to the Lipstick League. I'm Nicole Mahalik. I'm Natalie Eganoff, and this is where sports and pop culture come to play. So we were going to do an emergency podcast last week when all the Carson Wentz stuff finally came to a head. Yeah. And then we were like, you know what? Like, we're not going to jump on the bandwagon like all the other people and yeah. do an emergency one. We're just going to like wait till the time. And there's other stuff to talk about besides Carson. Like we're going to talk about it, but like, we're going to talk about Joel Embiid. We're going to talk about how baseball season's right around the corner. We're going to talk about the big, but not surprising divorce. Yes. You know? The big divorce news. And yeah. you know, you I'm know, going to tell you about the shows I binged. Yeah. And, and how my Christmas tree's still up. Uh, we, I, I did notice that we do have to talk about that. I, um, no, and I mean, we've exhausted every angle of the Carson Wentz story and I'm just like at this point it's just kind of like now it's over yeah thank god you know, yeah. So let's let's start with it now it's over he's going to the Colts the Eagles got like a pretty shitty deal for him not yep. you would think that you would get for your hundred million dollar quarterback um but he's gone and it's over yep. and now all these reports are coming out how he um was uncoachable and this and that and this and that howie roseman's just trying to do damage control to make himself look better because he fucked this up so bad so it's just kind of like okay we're done it's it's over the one hour is over exactly and that's i mean you and i talked about this a couple times but like it's it's so interesting because i was thinking about it it's so hard not to text you when i'm thinking about stuff because i like to save it for when we record you know yeah um but I was thinking about it, how when we started this podcast, he was playing shitty and you and I are like, we are on the Wentz mountain and we know that, and like, that was just in, you know, we started recording episodes in September yeah, um, and just how we felt, how fast, like how we felt then we were like, he's going to pull through, like, he's got it. Like he, he's our guy, like he, he's Philly. And it got to the point, and it's so weird how you and I, our emotions, like, were very parallel, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes, like, you know, we come from a radio background, and a lot of old school radio would force people to have opposing views because they think it's more drama. And to me, I think the beauty of what a podcast is, is that you're just who you really are. And like, it just so happens that we both r- rode the Carson Wentz roller coaster in the same cart, you know? We were strapped yeah. to the same little roller coaster cart and like we were on it together and our feelings were always so similar. We're like, we both are at a place where we're like, for the love of God, please just trade them. Like we can't take it anymore. Well, and I think- and anybody who's paid like such close attention to the whole Wentz um, situation and the Eagles quarterback situation from the beginning, from when they drafted Jalen Hurts, I mean, I think that you could see where it was going. And that's what I've been saying over and over and over again is how did, how did the Eagles not foresee that this is where it would go? And, you know, like it's, yeah, like it, it was time. Like I never, I never thought, and actually I woke up this morning and I was like, I cannot believe that court, that Carson Wentz is not the I know. starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, and it's February of like 2021. Like, it just feels very weird yeah. that he's gone. Uh, especially since everything that they did to get him 
And, you know, everybody says that I'm soft on them and I probably am, but I, I bought into, I bought into what the Eagles did and what they sold to get him. And I just had so much faith in him, which is why I think I was so reluctant and why I'm still so reluctant to believe that it was a failure. Yes. I feel the exact same way. It was, it's like when you like somebody and you like the idea of who they are, not who they actually are. It's like, there's been so many boys that I've hooked up with and that I've like pseudo dated. And I was like, Oh my God, I like him. And then I go, wait, I actually like, don't like him. Yeah. Right. I like the idea of who I want him to be. You know, there is a situation where like, I was like kind of on, not seriously on and off, but like hooking up and casually dating someone for like four years. And two years ago, he had booked this trip to Sedona and it was right after I got let go from my other job. And he was like, come meet me. And it was like, I've always wanted to go to Sedona. And it was just this amazing hotel. And, and I was like, God, I just don't like him. Like he's boring. And it was like, and that is one of those situations where it's like expectation versus reality. And like, we wanted Carson to be who we wanted him to be. And he wasn't. And that is the feeling of being just depressed. Well, yeah. And I, you know, I still think I, there's a lot of me, I put, I put a lot of blame onto Howie Roseman and the Eagles like I totally I I probably I put like 80% of the blame on Howie just because I I think that he squandered the opportunity that he had since the Super Bowl like I I just think it's very like classic case you know we've said this over and over again of like ego getting in the way and yeah you know like I probably think it's about 65 Howie because there is a strong part of me and it was a light bulb moment last week that I had with, with our uh, co-host Andrew Salchunas in the hallway. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I will say, cause there's a part of me that sees what happened with Aaron Rodgers, right? Where they drafted Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers was like, fuck you and balled out. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so even though it does, it doesn't make sense to me even now why they drafted Jalen Hurts. Was it that they really thought they were a quarterback factory? Was it that they saw something with Carson, you know, last year? Whatever the reason was, um, Carson still had the control where he could have at that moment been like, fuck you, I'm going to ball out. And instead he said, fuck you and, and shriveled into a ball. Right. Right. He didn't ball out. He shriveled into a ball. Yes. yes. (laughs) And shriveled balls. Yeah, we don't like shrivel balls. Nobody likes old, saggy shrivel balls. Right, we like plump, (laughs) plump, shaven balls. FYI, shave your balls. Hairy balls are gross. FYI, you want us to go down there? You want us to lick around? You want us to have fun down there? Shave the balls. Okay. Now I'm thinking of Carson Wentz's red balls. Oh my God. <laughs> I wonder if it's like, woo, red, you know? Like fire, like fire engine. Yeah. Or is it like blonde? You know how sometimes it could be like. It could go know, either way. Yeah. Like strawberry blonde. I say the carpet matches the rug. Is that yeah, what you <laughs> the rug matches the carpet. Right. So shave, you know, shave your balls. Anyway. <laughs> so. 
there's, there's, there's that, that, that does annoy me about Carson. And obviously where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, so all the reports of him being uncoachable and, and being lame in the locker room, um, not being able to rally people. I don't think all of that's true, but there's definitely some parts that are true. And I remember actually, I don't know if it was even two years ago at this point, Jason Avant, who used to play for the Eagles, he was on the fanatic and I think he was with Devon and he was talking about, you know, when you're a leader, you have to know how to, you know, and I don't never met Jason or know anything about him personally, but I, and I don't even really listen to him that much, but I just, in particular, I listened to this one segment when he was on the radio and he said, when you're a leader, you have to know how to relate to people. And he said, he doesn't really think. And from what he has heard, you know, Carson Wentz grew up in North Dakota and he was the prodigal son, his entire career. So he never did the work to know how to relate. He said, Nick Foles, you know, grew up playing street ball and AAU basketball in, in Austin. Like he knows how to relate to different races, different economic statuses. Right. He knows how to relate to somebody who grew up in, in, you know, inner city Atlanta versus South Dakota. And I think that one of Carson's downfalls was that he just, he just didn't have that because I think he was on this pedestal his whole life. And when it came down, we talk a lot of it. We talk a lot about that um, on this podcast is that it really did come down to him not being able to be grace under pressure when push yeah. came down, he, he shriveled. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he totally shriveled and you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in a tough place with it for sometimes, but I'm, but I'm already, I'm already moving on. I'm already ready for the hurts ever to begin. And especially, you know, because they blew up the franchise basically because they picked this guy last year. Um, so I I'm ready for the next chapter of the Eagles. I'm also ready for, um, to kind of move on from them. I need, to, I need like mental space from okay, the Eagles so because my, my relation, like I am now like, I'm in the, like the falling out. I'm in the grief phase of the breakup. Yes. You now there's like the five stages of grief yes. or whatever. Like yes. I'm, I'm grieving. I was angry. Like I went through the anger phase. Like I'm no longer ang ang angry. I'm like accepting it. Um, so yeah, no, I think I just need some like mental space from like Howie Roseman and like Jeffrey Lurie because like it has consumed me since the draft last year, like since April 24th of last year, yeah. I'm not lying. I thought about that Jalen Hurts pick every night before I went to bed. Yeah. Every single night because I, I was just like, what happened? Why? Yeah. Where did it go? Could he be that bad? Could he be that uncoachable? Could he, could he be that miserable? And then like just the con, all the convoluted um, information. This yeah. person says this, this person says this, this person says this, this person says that. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, like enough with the drama. Well, and I think, so, so two things. I do want to get to the moment that I knew that Carson Wentz had major, major, major issues. It was a, it was a ha moment and I had it in the hallway with Andrew Salchunas. But before I get to that, I will say I'm with you in that I really have been struggling with like, how do I like root for the Eagles again? Like I keep thinking back to the Super Bowl season 
And even the season before, and I, and I tell the story about me in a hut in Iceland in line to pee. And I got the alert from ESPN that the Eagles were trading Sam Bradford to Minnesota because Teddy Bridgewater's injury and Carson Wentz was starting. And that feeling, and that was bef- that was the 2016 season. And, and I felt that elation and I was so excited. And, and I, so I'm at a place now where I'm like, am I ever going to be like excited like that again? So like they I took the joy away from me and it wasn't so, about Carson. It was just about how they handled everything over the last two years. It's, and that's, it's tough and it's been so ugly. And I, that's why I feel like I need space because it's yeah. like, I, I just watched this like, and being so invested in every single second of it, you know, it, it it's painful. And especially because we had just won that Super Bowl, and I'm like, you fucked this up. Like, you ruined yes. this. Like, you, it didn't have to be this way. Like, we didn't have to get here. And it's just like, how do we go from where we were? And now we're starting at rock, we're starting at rock bottom again. Literally. Honestly. Like, we are starting at rock bottom again. And, I don't know if maybe I had just disillusioned myself to believe that maybe I convinced myself that the Eagles were more than they were that year. Yeah. I th- maybe, I, I, mean, I, maybe I thought better. that they, I thought it was our time. I thought that they finally figured it out. I thought, I thought that we'd have, you know, maybe if we didn't win one last year or this year that we'd win one next year, you know what I mean? Because like we had our quarterback and we were going to regroup and they were going to, he was going to have an offensive line and he was going to have like offensive weapons and like, the how about going to come together on the art museum steps? This is the new normal. Yeah. It's just, um, I can't believe the franchise is where they are. And I know. I've, I've been through, this is probably the super, the 2005 Super Bowl loss was really, really tough for me because yeah. Again, you you thought that that was it, right? So yeah. I went through that. I was younger. I, I paid a ton of attention to it, but uh, I don't know if maybe just because I'm older and so invested, but this feels this feels worse right now than when Donovan McNabb lost that Super Bowl and Andy because Reid lost that I Super think Bowl. Why? And and at least for me, I think I think it feels worse because. That was just a loss. It was just, they didn't win the game. This is, this was like a deep rooted, like very like psychological, yes, weird, intangible yes. thing. Like it had nothing to do with statistics. And I think what's really hard for me is that like, we could talk about speculation all the time, but like, we just don't know. Will we ever know? Will there be a 30 for 30 on this in 20 years? I'm going to make we, it. <laughs> yeah. Like, will we actually ever find out like what happened? Like, how did this happen? Was it really that they knew Carson was going to suck? Or was it the fact that Howie's ego took over? Like, what was it? You know? Cause I think that that's what I struggle with. I hate the unknown, And that's, what's really frustrating about it all is that like, we actually don't know, we can speculate all we want. And, but like, until we actually hear it from Howie or from Carson or from Jeffrey, like now Jamie Apodi had an interview with Doug Peterson's son, Josh. And Josh said like, my dad knew going into the, the Florida meeting with Jeffrey that it could mean he was done, but 
he said, I'm going to get everything off my chest and I'm going to say exactly what I wanted. And if it means it's done, then I'm at peace with it. So, you know, some, I mean, if like, if Doug, if his, if Doug's son is saying that in public, you know, and again, it's speculation, but like, he literally said, he was like, we, he sat us down as a family and was like, I'm going to say everything that I want to say. Good. And that might mean that I'm don't have a job after this, but I'm at peace with it. Good. No, no. He's been you- golfing and fishing and like hanging out. You know what? I, I, I'm, I'm glad that that was Doug's last stand. Yeah. I'm glad that that was Doug's last stand with the Eagles because, and you know, I was mad at him this past season. I kind of feel bad. I was really hard on him, but again, there's, and again, more speculation is that like how he planted the seed that kind of eroded the relationship between Doug and Carson. Like you know, the whole thing, how they didn't speak for nine or 10 weeks. Some people said that was bullshit. Some people said it was true. Could you imagine not talking to your boss for, I, I cannot, what I cannot fathom that that could be the weirdest thing I've ever heard it's 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 so unfathomable whether or not it's football or like if you're like an accountant like it makes absolutely zero sense and that's where I come in and that's where my perspective is and again I don't know if this is because of my denial that I'm in with Carson if it's that's when I'm like okay who's the adult in the room here Right. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody, somebody in the organization had to step in to try and like repair that relationship. And Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman aren't going to do shit about it. You know that you're a head coach and you're starting quarterback who's playing every single game. You know that they're not talking if that's even true and you're not going to do anything about it. But you know, that's, what's really that's your, that's your wallet at risk. Now these are your losses. Like that's, that's on you because what kind of leadership like that to me is style. like, how are you trying not to fix that? Unless, unless they didn't want to fix it. So unless that was the plan all along. But like, and that's why it's just so sick. And that's like, I don't know. You're right. Like, I don't know how I'm going to come back from this with them. That's where I am with it. Because like I put on my Eagle sweatshirt the other day and I was like, God, I was like, take it off. Take it off. <laughs> Get it off me. Yeah. I'm itchy. I'm itchy. <laughs> I know. I know. It's sad. And we've I've seen it with other organizations. They have these ebbs and flows, but this just feels so um, you know what else I was gonna say really quick before we get to when I realized that Carson Wentz has a major issue, because I'm I'm really teasing that hard, but um, and I want to know your reaction when I tell you this. I'm scared. Um, just like how the Super Bowl could have been lightning in a bottle where it was the perfect storm of everything working out, right? Maybe this just was the perfect storm of everything just not working out. That it was the fact that after the Super Bowl, like they, their egos got the best of them, that Carson did start, start playing bad. Carson couldn't handle the pressure and like not being number one anymore and and Doug was getting frustrated that he was he couldn't I won a Super Bowl I should be allowed to do right because like when the Super Bowl was so early it was so early in Carson's career it was so early in Doug's career so like part of me thinks that maybe it was just like the perfect storm of goodness and then this was the perfect storm of badness that's very profound you know what I mean yeah but, but, but why 
why is it because we won the super bowl is it because we had our is it because we had our spiral in the sun why did they let that happen no i mean but why did it have to happen like why couldn't we just have like a good thing for a decade well, like, why did it have to go? Not only I think of that bad. a lot. I mean, I think of that a lot. Like, I think of the Patriots, and I'm like, how obviously, like, Tom and Bill hated each other, or did they always hate each other, or did it erode over time? But I really think, you know, and this is why I love psychology so much because personality matters. And you know, we just did an interview that's going to air. This is going to air before the other interview airs, but it's with two Olympic gold medalists as a little tease two olympic gold medalists and they talked about how i'm not going to give it too much away because it's such a good interview but the one olympics they were more talented and they didn't win the gold because the chemistry was off right right and and that's all i'm gonna say so i really do think that like psychology plays a role in it and so when you think about how you know when we won the super bowl it was early in it in Doug's career. It was early with the Eagles. It was early in Carson's career at the Eagles. They had those really strong veteran players like Chris Long and Malcolm Jenkins and Tori Smith um, that really like took control and and really like led that locker room. And like when all those veteran players left, like all hell broke loose. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and I think that like Doug got pissed that he he was okay with the situation before he won the Super Bowl, but then after he won the Super Bowl, is like, I won the Super Bowl, fuck you. And Carson's like, I was MVP, fuck you. And Howie's like, well, I constructed the whole roster, so fuck you. <laughs> and Jeffrey Lord is like, well, I'm paying all these people, so fuck you. Right, right. And, right. Instead of all being working together and be like, how do we keep this going? Instead, they were like, it's like that meme. I know more than you and you know, you know what I mean? And like, at the end of the day, it's like, who's, who has the bigger dick? It's well, and that isn't that what they always say? Like, I mean, you, you said it, I was going to say like, again, it's like all these egos. Oh, it's about who has the bigger dick, but it's always, well, especially usually it's the little dicks. Usually they have tiny penises. And, and that's, and that's the thing. Like it, that's like, a like sports um in general right like that's the sports yeah. world in general is that like it's all like a pissing it's all a pissing contest like yeah. that, I, I say it all the time it's just and they can't get out of their own way yes because like imagine if there was somebody like me or somebody like you who could be like all right you guys like I get it like I understand like you're all the best in the entire world and you all did this but like we need to keep this going. Like for some, for an organization who touted such emotional intelligence, it's like, well, where was it? Do you even know what that means? Like you have absolutely no idea what that means because if you are a owner, an NFL franchise owner, or if you're an NFL franchise GM and your quarterback and your coach aren't talking, if you have emotional intelligence, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is probably the worst possible fracture to have in any team sport in the history of sports. Yes. Like, yes, that is such a crucial key relationship. It's the most important relationship. Yeah. In the sports world, in my opinion, because the quarterback is the most, it's the pinnacle of the team. It all, sorry, I'm stuck in my tooth. It all really does go back to emotional intelligence 
you know, you know, Michael Phelps, obviously he got me through the 2008 Olympic. He got me through 2000, the summer 2008. Cause that's when I was heartbroken over Neil from the biggest loser. And so I just sat on my couch and just watched the Olympics and really rooted for, I mean, just was obsessed with Michael Phelps. Like my friends still go, Oh my God, remember the Michael Phelps summer. I mean, it was like, like Michael Phelps era. <laughs> it was like, Whoa, it was like, cuckoo. it's like when I first started watching scandal, like, Oh my God. cuckoo. Like, how many, um, how many calories did he eat a day? Did he eat like 12,000 calories a day? Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he had to keep up like with his stamina and uh-huh. wasn't his wingspan like eight feet long. Yeah, like his wingspan is like double his height or something. Yeah, I remember them just like talk about genetics. Like, and he has like a weird, um, he has some weird genetics. What isn't there like a foot? Doesn't he have webbed? Does he have webbed toes? Okay, so there's two actually two things. Like a wingspan is like longer than his body. Number one, number two, his ankles are like double jointed so he basically has like built-in flippers yes that's it that's it I was like and, I need like a fin or like a flipper or something and which I always like I love to swim like love it I'm obsessed with swimming I love the water like everything like my best friend Joe calls me crazy water lady because <laughs> give me like a mountain I mean like a, a fountain a beach a lake a pool like obsessed with water because I'm a Leo I'm a fire sign so it calms me yeah but I always said to my parents, you know what, if you would have pushed me a little harder, I could have been an Olympian because I have a size 11 feet with no arch. I have like built-in flippers. You do? Yeah. Size 11, no arch. So like literally my my feet are like flippers. And if they would have, no, they had to be like good parents and like, you know, just let me take a couple swimming lessons. I was like, you would have been dicks and pushed me. Right. You could have been right there with Michael Phelps. Yeah. I could have been like, Hey, Michael. Yeah. Wait, that's wild. Same thing with Britney Spears. Gloria Dillon Studio of Dance, where I taught, taught, went from three to 17 and taught dance for two years. She said, I had the best stage presence of anybody she ever seen. I said, if you would have took me to New York, it could have been Britney Spears, damn it. That's right. I was was eating burgers at the ground round. I know. I know. You know? The the possibilities. Our parents didn't know. They They didn't didn't know know. any better. They tried their best. Sorry that they were loving. Yeah. (laughs) Want us to be well-rounded. So really quick about Michael Phelps. He also has this weird genetic mutation where his body like flushes lactic acid really fast. And that's why they said that he had to eat like this insane diet or something, right? To like, just to sustain like his nourishment. Yeah. And I was like- But the issue with my whole point of the story was that, so his coach, I'm pretty sure it's Bo Bowden, B-O-W-E-N. Oh yeah, I remember. His his coach, his longtime coach from, from Baltimore, they had a massive falling out. And he didn't coach him for, I, f- I forget exactly the timeline, but it wasn't until Michael Phelps got his shit together and apologized and they worked through their issues. And then Michael Phelps went to the next level. And so you, the whole point of that story was not that Michael Phelps helped me through my heartbreak of t- 2008, how it was <laughs> the fact that like, you have to be of sound enough mind to know what you need to take your God-given abilities to the next level. And even though it might be frustrating and it might be hard, if you want to be a champion, if you want to be the best, you know, we talk about Tom Brady a lot in the podcast, but like when he did the podcast with Dak Shepard, he talked about that a lot. He said, I was never the most talented. He said, 
do you know how many players I've seen in the 20 years that I've been in the NFL that I think to myself, my God, if they worked half as hard as I am, they would be four times better than me. Right. You have to have the mental awareness and the emotional intelligence to understand that like, if you want to be the best, you have to surround yourself. You have, so, and so I think the whole point of the Eagles and Carson and that whole mess was that like, like how, why didn't they bring a sports psychiatrist in? Like, why didn't they try like to work it out? But I will say, and I'll stop teasing it, but I'll just tell you the story about Carson is that the moment that I said, oh, he's fucked up. Now, I, as soon as he got injured in, you know, in LA, when he tore his ACL, I thought, eh, like, this is going to be hard for some. And then all of a sudden, then I was like, mm, okay, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Because I kept thinking of RG3, like RG3. That was it for him. That was it. Well, and then, and I mean, that coach, I mean, I'm blanking on his name right now, but um, they sacrificed him because he, 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 they should not have put him back out there. Yes. And that and was that the was end it. of his career. That was the end of his career. I mean, you know, he's still on a roster. He's playing for the Ravens and whatever, but like, it's, so there was a part of me that thought that, and then all of a sudden we kept winning, you know, and then all of a sudden we win the Super Bowl, And I remember being like, like you, like the mental toughness to be able to be okay with the fact that the backup came in and worst won the first ever Super Bowl. So we won the Super Bowl on Sunday. Monday was wow. Like everybody was hungover. Everybody was shocked. No one could speak. Everybody was still crying. It was the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, Natalie, that I realized how fucked up Carson Wentz was from this. And you know what happened at the Tuesday after the Super Bowl? What? Is when he proposed to his girlfriend and blasted it all over social media. And that moment I said, he's so fucked up that Nick Foles won the Super Bowl and won the MVP that he had to go do this. So the attention goes back on him. And I swear to God, that moment I said, this is not good. Somebody needs to get him a sports psychiatrist because. You don't think he was planning it? I don't, I mean, he probably thought about it. I mean, without going too much into the Carson Wentz drama of how he like, you know, left Melissa, his high school girlfriend to date Maddie because he met her on the Haiti trip. Right. Um, without getting too much into that, I think he thought about it, but like, why would you do it right after the Super Bowl? Why would you post it? Why are you taking away? I mean, that's when Nick Foles was on Ellen and Fallon and and the Today Show and Jimmy and um and who what else, who else was he on? I forget. You know, he was everywhere. And and then all of a sudden, like, and he he you know proposed in the castle with the candles. It was a whole thing, and I'll never forget that. Like, it was all you know, it was like ESPN because like nobody was talking about Carson Wentz that at that moment. It was the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Nick Foles was a Super Bowl MVP. No one was talking about Carson Wentz. It was just, it was all about the Eagles. Well, and you know, what's so funny, I guess too, is I, I mean, that never occurred to me in like a thousand years. And I guess because we were all just like, 
this is all a celebration and right. we like love this and like it's love and he like you know just watched the team win the super bowl i mean but to me to me it was a cry for help and attention to me it was it, to me it was don't forget about me i'm still the quarterback i'm still the quarterback for the eagles don't forget about me and he even wrote in the caption now look or it was something along the lines of like um now we both have rings or like something like that. He did? Yes. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to need to, um, I'm going to need to marinate on that one because again, like I said, I'm still in, I'm still in some denial. Yeah. About yeah. it. But I'm telling you it, it was, and I, and you know, again, like people are going to be like, like what, like what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm telling you, because it was, so it would have been that 2018. Um, because to me, it, it just, it's, it's so about the mental game for me. It's so about, do you think, do you, do you think maybe like he just had to have like his own mo like he had to yes. have his own moment. He had to have his own moment. And again, I don't even real, I don't even know if he is that calculated I don't see and, see that's the thing about him is I don't I don't think he's calculated and I was talking um to Tyler Zuli today uh at 97.5 the fanatic and I was saying to him I said you know I think he does live by that you know, and that's what's coming out about him is he lives by this moral code where he doesn't speak ill of others and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. But instead of like expressing how he really feels, I think he suppresses it and then he like shuts down. And which it, is what a man, which is which is such an issue for men, because that's what men don't cry, be a man, boys don't cry, don't be a sissy. I don't think his comes out of like a don't cry, don't be a sissy. I think his comes out of I'm. I can't feel that way because it makes me a bad person. And I've said this about him. Like, Oh, okay. I, I've said this about him like over and over and over again. And instead of maybe allowing himself to be like, I can't believe I got injured. I can't believe Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. Instead of allowing himself to be angry with it, he was probably like, I have to accept this because this is the Lord's way. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And I think that, and I think, yeah. So the picture says, but it's so interesting you brought that anger up. It says, she said yes. And now Maddie and I both got us a ring. Yeah. Like, I don't, he's but you're not, right. he's, too, he's, first of all, he's too, like, in my opinion, he's too green. I think to be that, like, manipulative. We think anyway. Right. Right. But I will say, when you said that about being angry, about allowing himself to be angry, I didn't realize that I never processed anger before I started going to therapy two years ago where I would be like, I'm pissed or I'm annoyed. And my therapist had to be like, no, you're angry. Yeah. And that is a real emotion. So you need to tell your mind, I'm angry. Yeah. I'm mad about this. This is fucking pissing. You know, this is fucking making me angry and like feel what the anger is. Yeah. I've, and I've been that before I've been there before too. And it's only been recently that I've allowed myself to get angry and I've allowed myself to really like advocate for myself because I grew up kind of like the same way where like, well, you should be polite and like be nice to people and do this and do that. And like, when I used to get angry, 
I would cry. Right. And I'm angry. Right. I would be angry. I wouldn't know how to process it, that it would come out of my eyeballs. And it, I wasn't sad though. Yeah. I just, whatever the emotion was that was building up inside of me would, I would just cry because I was angry. I wouldn't get angry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it outward. Well, there's I would the, keep, the, I would keep it in the meme that went viral that said, I can't believe lawyer, lawyers argue without crying. <laughs> I actually, I wanted to share that on my Instagram because like, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I could totally do it now, but like, that's been like a personal growth thing for me, even just over the last three years. Yeah. Like it took me a really long time for me to abdicate for myself and even like stand up for myself. Like if like Carson, he could have, you know, I think he, he suppressed like how pissed he was when Jalen Hurts was drafted and like, it's okay to be mad about that. But like, and again, instead of in, instead of letting it out and taking it out on the field, he shut it down and it shut him down. You're so, I love that. Cause he was probably like, no, this is God's plan. Yep. God's, God wants me to go through this. And I've said this before. I said this before, like, you know, my mom always says this too. Like Jesus got mad. Yeah. He pissed, he, he got pissed off in the temple and flipped those tables. Yeah. You know, and, and it didn't make him a bad person because he had a human emotion, but like somewhere along the line. And as somebody, we both did 12 years you know, of Catholic school, like somewhere along the lines, like the, that messaging can get a little convoluted. And especially I think for me as a Catholic and having that Catholic guilt, like you feel like you're supposed to take it and you feel like you're supposed to be the better person and turn yeah. your cheek and do this and do that. Like, I think there's a lot of alive and shut you down. Yes. Carson tap, tap. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we got to talk about Joel and B, but for that, we should do a congratulations to Patrick Mahomes and his fiance Brittany. Oh um, yeah, yeah, they have a new little girl named Sterling. Oh, that's a cute little name. I'm not like a big trendy baby name person, but I like Sterling. That's yeah. I mean, the first thing I thought was like, is that a stripper name? But like, she's gonna be rich, so I think she'll be okay. She'll be totally yeah. She'll be totally fine. See, I just thought like Sterling is in like. But Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sterling Sky Mahomes. So, okay. Yeah, we didn't see what she looked like yet, but I'm sure she's going to be gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, she'll be a so cute little baby. So that's cute. I'm um, not trying to say that she's going to be a stripper. I'm just saying that, like, the name Sterling, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, now it's show and tells. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My dad. Sterling, please come, please come to the stage. You know, what's really crazy though. Like if he has a career like Tom Brady, like he could technically still be playing by the time she's 18. Like, isn't that wild? That is so insane. Like when you think about it, like Tom Brady's going into year 21 and this is only Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So technically she, yeah. Isn't that wild? I mean, that would be, that would be neat to see. Yeah. Like a LeBron situation. He might, he's going to play, he's going to play in the NBA with his son. Like, son. like that is, that is so cool. That's that. And that will cement him as the greatest. So the moral of the story is have kids at 15 and 16 because yeah. then, <laughs> cause then he could go to work with mom or dad. No, yeah. but like it, it obvious. Well, I think LeBron was like 20. Yeah. Yeah. He's 36, isn't he? Yeah. So I think, I think he was 20. 
um when he had when he had brawny and mm-hmm. Holmes is only what 24 still or 25 yeah he's still super young they're so young i know but you know what must be love hold on let me take a sip of tea for love i know <laughs> yeah i'm gonna take a little sip of my tea too um speaking of dads um like joel and i mean it really does just and again like I don't know if we'll ever know. I mean, maybe we will, but like, and maybe it was what he said when he did the interview and, and they asked him about being a dad. He was like, I don't really want to talk about it. And then talk for like seven minutes about it. So maybe it really was one of those moments where like, when he had his son, something just like clicked in his brain and he's like, I want my son to be proud of me and just like took it up a notch. It, it seems like it gave him a renewed sense of purpose. Yes. Yes. Because it, he's playing for something now he's playing for something other than himself yeah and you could see it and I feel like and any aspect of life like when you can find a source of inspiration that makes you want to be better and do better and I can't imagine for somebody like Joelle who's who just seems like to have this big heart you know like he has this biggest like this huge heart and he's played for himself for all these years and he's played for the city of Philadelphia for all these years but to find like a source of inspiration where he's like, I want to be the best that I can for my child. Yeah. Like it, it probably just, it elevated him to the next level. It, it put him in the next zone and I couldn't believe it Friday night, 50 I points. Know. I was just, as I'm sitting there watching, I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, is he going to do it? I was like, it, he's going to get to 50 points. And as a Sixers fan, you know, who again, I've been through everything with this team, like lived and breathed the Iverson era. I went through the process, like yeah, to know that like the city of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia 76ers have that in Joel Embiid and that they have Joel Embiid and we're watching him transform before our eyes. It's really spectacular. And honestly, again, it couldn't be at the more perfect time because it's like, we just closed the chapter on- yeah beautiful era in Philadelphia Eagles history and now we're gonna I was thinking about it today like we're on the precipice of greatness with the Sixers because even Ben Simmons you know last night out of my mouth and so it's just really interesting about Ben Simmons because there was an article and I sent it to you last week about it is mental with Ben Simmons and I was like all these fucking dudes like stuff that i've been saying for like a year and a half all of a sudden they're writing articles that it's mental yeah no shit sherlock yeah like where you been where have you been you know but it's so interesting though because it could i i really do think it's one of those situations where like a great leader elevates other people around them yes and it's not just joel Embiid, but it's also doc rivers Oh yeah. And for as much as like, I loved Brett Brown and I wanted to give him a hug and like, you know, have coffee with him. It was time for him to go. And, and I, I think the combination, cause even Tobias Harris, how, what he's doing under Doc that's, Rivers. Right. Like, and that's what I mean. Like there seems to just be something that has clicked with the team now. So like, what, and I, again, like what we're going to see with this team, whether it's this year or whether it's next year, like we're on the pre- precipice of an era of greatness for the Sixers. And hopefully because knock on wood, uh, where's the wood? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I fully believe it. And, and because 
they're such a unit, right? So there's only five of them. Right. You know, that is what's going to carry them into the next chapter of Sixers basketball into a, into a winning chapter. And it takes, it takes time to get there. And like how we've talked about that Eagles Super Bowl, um, how we talked about that Eagles Super Bowl run, having watched that firsthand and kind of seeing it all fall into place and fall into motion. I'm seeing that now with the Sixers, like it's just these very minor things where like when you're watching, so especially for somebody like Ben, you know, because he's still not shooting for him to just have that like instinctual ability to do like that pass, you know what I mean? To like pass that ball effortlessly and when the ball goes around, you know, the defender and gets yeah. into somebody else's hand. It's like you're watching rhythmic gymnastics. So with it, like a rhythm. so it, yeah. It's honestly like the synergy starts to click. So what they, they played the Raptors Sunday night. I mean, Joel had almost 30 points again, Ben yeah. had almost 30 points. You know what I mean? Like we're watching, we're watching the climb. And but not only I that, think, but like, I think it's also important to talk about the fact that like, you know, Doc Rivers was with Kawhi last year in, in LA with the Clippers and like, they couldn't get it done. Like there was something. And I think this is why it's important when we talk about synergy and we talk about personality and you talk about chemistry, you talk about the psychology of it. Like Doc Rivers had arguably the best, the top three player in in the NBA in, in Kawhi and and he just got, remember Kawhi just had gotten it done with Toronto and the Clippers were supposed to do it, but there was just like something off and the Clippers were said to doc, like, we got to go. Like he couldn't get it done there, whatever it was. And then it was like, he needed a fresh start here. Just like the players needed a fresh leader. Well, and it's interesting because the beauty of this transformation that we're witnessing is so even like last night's loss it's not one that you complain about right like right, right. You, you don't want to lose but your two stars are performing at such a high level that yeah. it's like that's just like a minuscule step that you can ask for because like you know that like they're not going to carry that loss with them because they both performed right it's right, not right. it's not going to be out of balance Right. So I, and I think it's amazing because if, if Joel and it is Joel, he's the one who's transcending yeah. into like the next phase of his career um, and his performance level as an athlete, like it's only, like you said, going to elevate everyone around him because that energy is contagious. And once they 100%. lock, and once they lock into that energy, that's when they're going to be monsters. They still need a couple more pieces. And, you know, there's, there's speculation now that Kyle Lowry. I know. Look at your face light up. Look at your face light up. I know who I watched play in high school. Um, I mean, can you imagine for the city of Philadelphia, Kyle Lowry became a sister? Please, please hold one second. I mean, I'll be, I'll be at the games, like wearing my, uh, my Cardinal Doherty mask. Oh, Oh, yeah. Those for the alumni. My mom got it at the VFW post. That is so cute. <laughs> that is yeah. so cute. Yeah. Um, for what that would do, that would be so cool for the city. And especially because he's such like a, a hard-bodied, tough, 
scrappy player and they say that he like dives and embellishes and he does you know when he's on the court and he's always calling the refs for fouls and stuff but we're not gonna gonna call on the ref did you see that my main man jj got ejected the other night oh i know i know and his hair is longer a little messy he yeah he's he's looking a little he's looking a little edgy yeah it's like yeah in New Orleans and like he's like you know the family's still in Brooklyn I guess he's not getting the love from Chelsea so right things he's like yeah. letting it all he's like letting it all loose yeah but yeah I think if if they were to pick up somebody like Kyle Lowry now they'd have to give up they'd have to give something up it could be like Maxi Thibel which like would be sad because like they're such like lovable players and also Kyle's 34 years old right which is like you, you kind of have to come to resolve with that, but he's like an instantaneous piece that you would want to like put into the puzzle. And just personally for me, it would truly, my life would be full circle. I think we've talked about this before, right? Yeah. How I was on, I was doing CDTV and I would announce, you know, on, on the television, I would say, Oh, the Cardinals played Archbishop Bryan last night, Kyle Lowry had 75,000 points. Like, so if I'm 32 years old and on sports talk radio and TV in Philadelphia and Kyle Lowry's playing for the Sixers and like Meek Mill sitting on the sideline and like Meek used to rap outside of my high school, like after the basketball games, like, like that's I was like, circle. okay, like now we're all here and we're all for full circle. So selfishly, I want it to happen. I don't know if it will, but we are in for a treat with the Sixers and it's really I'm so excited. I mean, and like you said, knock on wood, pending any sort of injuries or anything like that. But I think, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So let's switch gears for one second. We want to get to some big pop culture news, but like what's going on with Carter Hart? Is he turning into Carson Wentz? No, no. So, um, he, uh, well, first of all, the flyers are just like COVID ripped them apart. Right. They're a mess. They've been without like six of their main players. Um, we're off the ice for a while. The game in Lake Tahoe, it got all messy with the scheduling. They didn't even how about have- gritty, like how do we find like how does Gritty know how to snowboard? I like that was the craziest video. So, oh, I did American Ninja Warrior with Franklin, with Sixers Franklin. Yeah. And and you only you didn't make the steps though, right? Did you fall in the water? Oh no, I I did not make a single step at all. Like I just basically like jumped into the pool. <laughs> Meanwhile, Franklin like did the whole course and he was like an insanely talented like acrobat you know like yeah especially to be in that suit I don't want to like give it away but yeah especially to be in that suit and to be able to perform like that so when I saw those gritty videos I was like how yeah like did they does gritty know how to snowboard or did they hire a special snowboarder to be gritty so from what I know, I've got some inside scoop on. Okay. I will not reveal yes, um, yeah. the identity um, of Grady's best friend, but um, he is also a supremely talented athlete. Jesus Christ. I mean, I was like, what the hell? I mean, that went viral. It was everywhere. Yeah, because it it's so crazy. But again, I think <laughs> Gritty has that energy, right? Like, Gritty, oh, totally. When, I will when- never forget, speaking of Gritty, like, I'll never forget when they announced Gritty and I was just like, what the heck? Like everybody was disgusted and like horrified. And then like two weeks later was like the best meme ever where it was like, 
it was like Philadelphia, ew, gritty. What is this? The rest of the world, ew, gritty, so ugly. Philadelphia, shut the fuck up. We love gritty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, we love gritty. Like that it's was so the, yeah, yeah. That was it. But he, uh, because you know, he had that what half court shot yeah multiple times like you know yeah. what I mean I, I think when gritty's grittying he's just on this other wavelength where he can support and have all these amazing um you know Philly abilities. may not have won a lot of championships but you know what we did win oh we, the mascot the mascots I mean yeah. between the fanatic and gritty like there's literally no one even close no no and Franklin Franklin's actually a really great mascot yeah, you that is nice. We love you, Franklin. No, I Franklin's a really good mascot. I feel Aww. like I feel like because he's not I feel like because he's not as fluffy as Gritty and the fanatic that like he gets left out of a lot of things, but he wears like leather jackets. He's like cool. Okay. You no, know? that's nice. Um <laughs> one thing we finally disagree on. <laughs> But that's nice. He deserves love. Oh. But what about Carter Hart? It, he, I know. You think he's just in a slump? I I think I think there's a lot of factors. I think with the way that yeah, the way that COVID kind of like tore the team apart, and when they went to like Lake Tahoe, they couldn't even practice outside. And there's they're saying that he's not settled in his personal life yet, or or something like that. Like I to be honest, I've been in like Eagles and Sixers land for yeah. like you know, that mostly consumes my brain, but there is like get some... Taryn Hatcher on. We do have to talk to Taryn. Yeah. yeah. Taryn can give us like the lowdown on everything. Um, yeah. actually I'll text her. And, um, but yeah, like, I think, I think that he's, he's not Carson Wentz. He's so young. And what's interesting is you NFL... heard it here first gang. Natalie says he's not Carson Wentz. We'll no. see. No, 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 he's not. And, um, NHL goalies, if you know anything about them, they are um, strange birds. Like they're very, um, they're an interesting type of athlete because an NHL goalie is all mental and it's all reflex and it's a lot of like repetition. So I think like if you're not in that space where you're quick enough, yeah, he's going to be a step and a half behind. Right. So if he's not settled, and I, I, I don't exactly know why they're saying this, but they're saying like he's not settled in his personal life, like he had to live somewhere and like whatever. But like if he's not settled there, like he's just not, he's when he's getting a net, like he's not like settling in to like his comfort zone to be like as sharp as he needs to be. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And also, and also because the team is decimated right now, like, he has, he doesn't really have that much defensive support, right. but like, I'm, I'm not, he's the last person I'm probably like worried about okay. right now. As well, far yeah, as we find GT Real go. Mudo and he fucking breaks his thumb. Like what are I know. Odds? No, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be okay. He can still like throw in stuff. He's not, he's like, not, like, he's, in in a cast. Too, he's not in too terrible of a shape, but well, okay. clearly Natalie's playing the optimist today tonight because i'm being miss pessimist i'm like here we go how did you see that jimmy butler and taylor swift were showing each other love on the socials oh yeah that was really cute that was really cute where wait is he still tweeting what's her face who was he with gomez right so supposedly jimmy butler is dating selena gomez which so is is taylor like best friends 
best friends with Selena Gomez. So that's why I think this all happened. I thought that they didn't like each other. Who? Taylor and Selena. Do they like each other? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like super, super close and been close for years, but are like so close that like they only like give you little like Easter eggs, like Selena Gomez did that cooking show on HBO. Yeah. And like she was FaceTiming with Taylor the one day. But like Selena said in an interview about like, she's like it, I can't even explain to you like what her family has done for me. So I think that her family, I think they're more like sisters than they are like friends, okay. if that makes sense. Cause they've been friends for like a really, really long time. I know it's so interesting, Taylor but Swift. Like, Jimmy the, whole, the whole Jimmy Butler Jimmy thing. Butler singing this song but so can you hear it yeah uh-uh. so he's like dancing and singing to taylor and then like she responded to it and i'm like she would like she probably she never talks about sports. You never see her at a sporting event. And like the fact that she like, and it wasn't like she responded right to Jimmy Butler. She responded to, um, it was, was it, uh, yeah. NBA on TNT. So like that right away, I was like, Oh, that's basically her being like, I know that you're dating my best friend and like, I approve, or she has something going on with the NBA. Because Taylor just doesn't do something unless there's a motive behind it. Oh, yeah. No, I was thinking that, too. It, it's probably, she's probably friends with him now if Selena's dating him. Like, maybe exactly. maybe it's Jimmy exactly. Butler and Taylor Swift are now friends in this weird parallel universe. We know Jimmy Butler loves country music. Yeah. He's obsessed. And when he was at the Sixers, we had a sweeper. Well, I would always on the air be like, hey, Jimmy, if you're driving... You know, if you're driving over to Camden, give me a buzz. And we had a sweeper. It was like, Jimmy Butler, this is the 92.5 X2 bat phone. Give us a call. 2152. He never called though. Oh. And then he like went to Miami. So. Yeah. You know. But um, okay. well, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah. And so, and, you know, he has that secret baby that he never talks about too. Jimmy what Butler. secret baby? He's a daughter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember. Is she a secret baby? Well, he never talks about it. never posts about her. Yeah. So she's a secret, but you don't know who the baby mother is. That's okay. Whatever. I, I don't, I, I, I think that if you're in the public, you should tell us everything. Right. No, <laughs> I know. I know. See, I, and I'm like, I'm like, hide, I'm like, hide the child from the, from the evils of the interweb. I still want to know who January Jones's baby daddy is. Bobby Flay. Nuh-uh. <laughs> That's who no, I No, it's not. Do you remember that crazy story where she was in an accident and she called Bobby Flay to come help her? No, this is why I need you because I I love all this stuff, but I'm my brain is always on yeah. This is always on Philadelphia sports and what's going on in the sports world. So like yeah, I miss, she I miss never these nuanced stories. She never t- said who no, not a, like it's any of our business, but she never said who same thing with Mindy Kaling. She has two kids. We have no idea who the dad is. People say it's a sperm donor, but I really want it to be BJ. No, she has two children. Mindy Kaling has two kids, a little girl and a little boy. Where have I been? Clearly in Carson Wentz land. I was going to say, I've been on Carson Wentz's ass for the last five yeah. years. That's where I've been. Hopefully he shaves his ass too. Cause that could also be scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he's manscaped 
I don't know. I feel like Maddie, you're just like, it's okay. It's okay. Oh my God. Plus, I, guess like, you can, I guess I can like talk about him now that he's not here, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So like, obviously the biggest thing in pop culture was the fact that Kim Kardashian, Kanye West are officially getting divorced. She filed. And, you know, there was rumors. That's why there's always like, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Yeah. And so people have been, this has been out for a long time. She, it finally, it finally is official. So that's why when you ever hear stories, I'm like, it can't just be made up. Like, I'm sure there's some things made up, but when it's repetitive, you know that something's, but you know, the joke is, is that like, oh, you know, is she going to go back into the NBA? Like the whole family dates NBA players, you know, like, hello, Chris Humphreys. Um, But supposedly she's been dating someone for like over a year. Who do you think it is? So I- Oh, I know who it is. Who is it? You get, guess, you're never going to guess it, but I'll give you three chances. Is it, uh, see, I want it, I want her to date Drake just because I want the album. I want, I want a Drake album from Kim, from from like his, his relationship with Kim. Drake needs to be with Rihanna. Like my favorite celebrity couple of all time. Yeah, no, I know. But I, I would love. He screwed that up. He got a porn star pregnant. She was ready to be with him and he got the porn star pregnant and fucked everything up and they haven't spoken since. I know, I know. But Um, it's not Drake. Wait, is it a a musician? Nope. Is it an actor? Nope. It's a businessman? No. Is it the guy who works at the In-N-Out on Sunset? Nope. Do you want a hint? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's famous. But not an actor, not an athlete, is not a musician, from- not a business person, but, but famous, not a politician. Is it, a, is it somebody from the tech world? Nope. He's not a musician. He's not a tech person. He's not a politician. But, but, he's not an athlete. Runs, but, but is, is closer to, here's a hint closer to the political spectrum than any of those other jobs is he a lawyer nope he's famous like how famous pretty famous in fact he just was just a two weeks ago he was the number one trend on twitter I, this is so fun. Andrew, Andrew Yang? No, not a politician. Not a politician. <laughs> not a politician. Not a musician. Not an actor. Not an athlete. Nobody in tech. Not a lawyer. What's left? I mean, you're missing a whole. Is he an artist? Nope. You're missing like a whole genre. Oh, you said he's close to a politician. Was he like a social justice person? Yeah. Kind of, kind of. But you're like, you're missing a whole, like. Where's he from? Like what, like you're missing a whole, like, there's a lot of famous people that do this. Like I'm like totally blanking. Lots of famous people. There's a a ton of famous people that this is their job and that they do it on a local level and a national level. 
Is he like a commentator? Yes. He's a Wait. news person. He's a news person. Yeah, you forgot about the news. You do the news. I do the news. How can I forget about the news? Do you want me to just tell you? Wait, can you? No, because I want to know. Is it um, is it a CNN person? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I, gave, I gave you all the clues. Social justice, CNN. Cory Booker? No, close. Both bald Mark- heads. Van Jones. What? Yes. Yes. Nicole. Yes. Nicole. Yes. They've worked together closely for years with the social justice reform. And supposedly they've been dating for a year. Well, I mean, look, I've said this and I'm, I was a very, very big Kim Kardashian fan in my early twenties. Like okay. I, um, everybody hates on her. Right. So here I don't hate her. I don't like love her, but I don't hate her. And I respect the shit out of the family for becoming who they are. So this is where I'm going to get on my like Kim Kardashian soapbox, because I think that, and everybody says she has no talent. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. She was the first person to effectively monetize social media. She was the first person to take paparazzi photos and turn them into a benefit for herself. She never let the media, as we watch with Britney Spears, control the narrative about her. Yep. She took that power back from them because she said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go out in my little outfits and yeah, you're going to take the pictures of me, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy them off of you and I'm going to use them on my social media. Yep. And then when you follow me to this cupcake place on Sunset and right down the street from the In-N-Out and I'm standing there eating this cupcake, you're going to come there and you're going to take pictures of me. And then the brands are going to pay me because I'm going to post that picture that you took of me with this cupcake on my social media. It's genius. Yeah. And I think people forget. And I mean, it's Kris Jenner who's incredibly savvy in this way. And this opinion really triggers a lot of people, but Kim knew what she was doing and she had to show up for all of that. All of it. She, she, was an incredibly hard worker. So yeah. I, I love her because I think watching her evolution as a human has been kind of rewarding as, as somebody who's like really liked the show. I yeah. loved when her and Kanye got together because I thought, I think that he really loved her. Oh, I think, I, I think, think that they really love each other. I think that he's just a, a very mentally ill human and it's so sad. Oh, it's so sad. I mean, the saying there's a very fine line between brilliance and insanity is the definition of Kanye West. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's, I mean, he's, I remember when, and I think I talked about this on one of the last podcasts we did, but I saw him in 2012 and broke the news when Kim was pregnant and he was doing a freestyle rap and, and he starts talking about black. He's, he's freestyling. He's talking about black and black crime. And he's like, um, you know, N-word shooting N-word. And you think that he's talking about, you know, being in the streets. And then he's like, you know, in the magazines and and on the internet and in men are wearing a skirt. And obviously I'm not doing it justice, but basically he was talking about how like, I'm trying to push the envelope. Like remember his whole, that whole theme was when he was wearing the mask and he's wearing the black skirt and yeah, people were riding him. And he was just saying that like, like, um, racial 
genocide is basically like, I'm trying not to be the stereotypical black man and you're killing me for it. Right. I'm trying to push the narrative to be something different and you're kill you're murdering me for it. Right. And I remember being like, this is so deep and so brilliant. And I, and I remember, look, I was at Revel in Atlantic city and I remember being like, I wonder if people are getting this. Like, I wonder so- understand I always thought that he was so brilliant but ultimately so many times I mean you see with some of the greatest artists in history is that they actually do have mental illness and and they teeter the line between brilliance and insanity so his his um his production ability and the way that he's able to construct uh albums and pieces of music is just it's on a whole nother level, like the way that he experiments with sound and the way that he, right. he'll like just find some sort of like niche and then just get I really mean, into it. And then it, all of Jay-Z's best songs were produced by Kanye. Right. Because like he just has this ear that I is so finely tuned and he's able to like put these sounds together and like layer them under a track for anybody. Honestly, yeah. like he could do it with anybody and you know, he's been super experimental over the last couple of years, but he never recovered once his mother died. No, definitely. That not. was, that was the end of Kanye West. And I think yeah. that that pushed him over the edge. He probably always had some sort of, um, I think like bipolar mania. Yeah, absolutely. Cause if you can stay up for four days and be in a studio and just do music for four days straight, like you already have some sort of like wires that like operate differently than the rest of you know the rest of the world but um I think that once his mom died like he never recovered and I think him and Kim really loved each other but no she's I'm proud to like watch her evolution as a person and people like hate on her and I'm but I'm like I'm like look at what she's look at what she's doing now it's so again it's so funny how you and I just are always on the same page but like (laughs) That's how I feel about her where I'm like, even Kanye, like anytime anybody hates on a celebrity, I'm like, they didn't do anything to you. Yeah. They didn't hurt you. I know. I know. So what she's taking, so she's taking sexy photos. Well, that was, that's a whole other podcast of how women have been shamed into not loving their bodies. So and and she was actually, I got to tell you for me, she was one of the first women right after that, like whole Paris Hilton, Olsen twins. Like when I was a teenager, right? It was Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, the Olsen twins, Nicole Richie, and they were all like this big, oh. right? And I definitely, yeah. I definitely had a lot of body dysmorphia, internal shit because I thought that that's how I was supposed to look. Yeah, you know. And then as my body changed, she was when she came on the scene, and she was uh-huh. just like, "Here I am," and I was just like, "Oh my!" Like. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like she was one of those first, like to, to be like, she was standing next to Paris Hilton. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was well, like, yeah. And like, she was the one that like literally changed the narrative of like body shape. Because JLo, they didn't let JLo do it. But again, JLo didn't control her own narrative right. when it came to her storytelling. The media told JLo's story. Yeah, just like Britney Spears. So they were like, look at her dress, look at her ass, it's too big, look at this, look at that. And then Kim was like, no, 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 because I have this, I have the power, I control 
what people are going to know about me, what they're going to say about me and how I respond to it and how I present myself. Well, I mean, and that's also, you know, people give social media such a bad rap, but that's one of the main reasons that I love social media. I mean, I've learned so much, but you have people now like Lizzo, you know what I mean? Who like, I mean, my God, I've struggled with my weight, my literal entire right. life. I mean, I was 308 pounds at my heaviest. Right. And like growing up for me, it was same thing. Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and Christina Aguilera and Jessica Simpson. I mean, there was nobody who was plus size and especially, and even now you still struggle with it. It makes me fucking crazy where it's like the plus size, you know, girls are still like, oh, you have to lose weight. It, it's, it's always like a, a part of the storyline. It's like, how about we just put people on the screen that just happen to be different body sizes and they're just like having fun and living their lives. And that's just like what it is, you know? Yeah. And, and so, but like Lizzo controls a narrative. I mean, she's like shaking her, her cellulite ass and being like, I work out like an, a, a maniac and this is my yeah. body. I'm vegan. And, you know, yeah. and like Kim was really the one that like started that whole thing. And well, the she, fact that as an adult, she like is now in law school and like, you know, brought on the social, social, um, injustice, you know, social justice campaign. And, um, and I, you know, I won't be like, Oh my God, I'm obsessed with her, but I like her. And I like, you know, I don't respect from like a business standpoint, a woman's standpoint, like what they've done. And, and I hate when people hate on it because it's like, she doesn't even Kanye, like he may be weird, but he didn't do anything to you. Well, I, I, I think for the black community, it's tough with Kanye because of the way that he kind of went down the Trump road and oh yeah, definitely. You know, like that's slavery, a choice. Like, I think that that's when like, um, that was really tough for a lot of people to yeah, have him go so rogue. You but know, it's also and hard on the black community with the girls that I'm that I'm very aware of. I mean, it's very cultural appreciation, you know. Appropriation. Well, so uh, but cultural appropriation. Yeah, that's a that's a good point too. Is how like they say that like the Kardashians kind of like used different cultures to build their right. own brands as but, white girls. Yes, as yeah, as technically like white girls. Correct. But it is it is interesting and at the heart of it, before we go down any more of that, like I I don't think that's crazy if she's dating Van Jones. That's where this came from. Yeah, that's where this came from. But we didn't even really touch on the whole like Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, the Justin Timberlake apology. Um and from a pop pop culture standpoint, like what was your what was your take on all that? Justin's apology or just yeah just kind of how all that came came about um I thought that he just kind of like put a little like peroxide and a band-aid on a wound that I think is a lot deeper than he has the mental capacity to understand because he's Justin Timberlake and he doesn't really have to answer for anything and I thought his apology was kind of weak. I'm glad he did it. And I'm glad that he owned that he's still learning and that, you know, he understands how he was a part of the problem. But I don't know. I, I felt like he owed, like maybe if he would have taken a video. Yeah. It was just it on his notes. It felt a little empty. It, it just felt like a little empty and like very PR-y. Like, yeah. like Carson's statement. <laughs> Oh, Carson's statement was as vanilla as he was. Jesus, my God. Um, 
not even like a little cinnamon on it. It was like, what the, I mean, it was just like vanilla. Yeah. But the thing with Justin is interesting because, you know, obviously the whole Janet Jackson thing. And when he released a statement, my first thought was like, oh, this is good. But then immediately I started talking to my friend Liz and she's like, first of all, he only apologized because he was being attacked. He could have apologized over the last 20 years. Number that's, one. That's, what like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, yeah. He, he knew that he had to say something. So he was just like, I'm sorry to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson. And I also felt like they each deserve their own individual apologies. Okay. Yes. If, if no one knew the context, they would have thought it was the same thing. Which, which cheapens the severity of what happened to both of them. Correct. Because <laughs> Janet was vilified for a pasty. Correct. Britney was vilified for being a typical teenage 20 year old in a relationship and it's and like he gets out of both of those situations scot-free and then he lumps them together like like it's like a comparative situation it was just it was just kind of like no like you've benefit you've benefited from the patriarchy and the way that the media was constructed because it was all old white men making those decisions on how to shape the narrative right right so that's what i was gonna say you know in justin timberlake's defense maybe i shouldn't say defense when all that was happening, when he was 19 and 20 and, you know, he was only 23 yeah, I mean, during, super, during Janet Jackson, he, it, part of that world was that all these old rich white men were telling him he's amazing. You're fine. Don't worry about it. He like, I feel like as a 23 year old that he didn't even know enough to be like, well, wait, why is Janet getting punished? And I'm not, I think as a 23 year old who's been famous since he was 12, mind you, that he's just like, oh, okay. Like, that's just like what it was. Yeah, you know, I feel like, that's what I mean. He's just kind of like a, like a douchey, like, oh, uh, my bad, Janet. Like, right. I'm gonna go, I'm just going to go to the club now or something. Like, Right. And we're like all the people who, all of his managers and the executives at his record label and all the executives at all the, you know, Janet lost all these endorsements and he kept getting more endorsements. Like, what was he supposed to turn down the, at 23? Like, I don't think I would have understood it at 23. I think no. at 23, if some rich, powerful, power, powerful person was telling me, well, this person was bad and you're okay. I think I would have probably felt bad about it, but I've been like, okay. But now I would have been like, holy shit, this was awful. So I felt that like, yeah, he could have apologized over the past 20 years. He could have apologized last year or two years ago, but he waited until now and the apology still sucked. So that was, that was kind of my issue. Yeah. I feel like he just like put something out just so people would stop bothering him. And now I'm still waiting for Diane Sawyer's apology. For oh Brooke. my God. I mean, like Diane, are you freaking kidding me with that? You know what I thought about? So did you see Gail King when she interviewed FKA Twigs? No. About the uh, abuse. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. yeah. The Shia LaBeouf abuse. She asked her, and I think. She said that she knew that she shouldn't ask the question, but she asked it anyway. Okay. She said, why didn't you leave? Wow. And FK Twigs was like, I, I'm not answering that question anymore. She said, I didn't leave because the abuse was so bad. She said, we need to start asking the abuser, why are you holding someone hostage? Right. Right. And, th- and that's the truth of it. And pivot yeah. back to sports everything that we've been dealing with in the Phillies and the Odubel Herrera situation. Oh my God. No, it, no one's even talking about it. The 
columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Bob Brookover, who came on the Mike Vicinelli show, um, who I had the opportunity to kind of talk to because that was one of the things he said. He said, well, she didn't leave him. And I said, you don't even understand like what a domestic violence victim goes through. I mean, I can't believe, how old is he? Oh, he's probably like in his fifties or something. Just so clueless. So, and, and it's so clueless. Like, so it was funny how like the timing of that all coincided and then Gail King comes out and she says it and she didn't, she got a little bit of backlash, but like she said, I know that we don't ask this question, but I'm going to ask it. Like, why didn't you leave? And I just thought that FK Twig's answer was perfect. It's like, because when you're a, when you're a victim, it's like, we've talked about this before. Imagine getting like punched in the head over and over and over and over and over again. Like you're just gonna, at at some point, like you're just gonna like lay down because what you can't fight anymore. Right. You know, like. Well, and a lot of it is psychological manipulation. Oh, it's all psychological. Think I'm horrible that this is happening to me. And so I deserve it. Like it's so much deeper. It's so deep, you know, and and for people, same thing too. Like, God forbid a girl is raped and they ask her, is your, sh- why were you drinking? What were you wearing? Your dress was too short. Why were you wearing a crop top? Yeah, but no, like that's the whole, that's the whole problem with the, with the way that things have been dictated by the media for so long is because like, it's always been bound by these constructs where like the woman has to take the fall for whatever and she has to answer for her behavior yes and 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 the guy never does so I just really like I I just really appreciated that FK Twigs flipped the script back on Gail is that her name Gail King yeah that's it bestie yeah yeah um, I was thinking Gail Sayers yeah from like <laughs> 19 from like 1960 um but yeah, it's 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 changing now and I think it's going to be better in the future. But it's still it's not enough and the fact that like the Philadelphia Inquirer still has these columnists who are kind of putting out this work. And what happened was he like tried to like soften the blow by like defending this the domestic abuse without it even being a conversation topic yet. Because he knew that they were going to bring him back to spring training to compete. Yeah. So he, it was like a preemptive strike. And I said on the Mike Missinelli show, you can't, that's not how we do things anymore. Like we're not, we're not doing this when it comes to domestic violence anymore. Like we're not, we're not giving any conditions around it for excusing the behavior. Like I understand the Phillies hands are tied with this kid and that he, did whatever it was that he did and um went to therapy or whatever and that's fine but like if they have to bring him back because there's all this red tape around the situation and they don't have to bring him back they didn't have to they just don't have a center fielder um then that's not the way to handle it you let him go he plays if he makes the team then you address it. But even Joe Girardi came out and he said, like, everybody makes mistakes. And it's like, just, it's like, how do you not, how are you not getting it yet? Well, the fact that like people were vilifying Carson Wentz for like being like not the best in the locker room, but yet there's literal 
domestic abusers, like fingerprints on a woman's neck and people just turn the other cheek. Yeah. Well, and because they've gotten away with it for so long, especially in baseball and the NFL, and it's just, it's so problematic. And I, you know, nothing against the inquiry, nothing against Bob Brookover and his work. I don't think that he actually understands what he was saying because I said to him, I said, hey, have you ever researched um, what it's like to be a domestic violence victim? I said this to him on the air. That's awesome. Yeah. Go, oh, this is why, go, high five. Yeah, high five. Um, we should, I'll play, I'll play it. I mean, we're, we're, I'm working with, with Natalie Eganoff here and, and she's a very serious advocate of women's issues. Now, Nat, like, how, how do you feel about the, this, the, this view that's so polarizing here that he should get a second chance? Is it, is it, it's, in your view, Natalie, is it reducing women's cause when it comes to domestic violence? It completely minimizes the atrocity of domestic violence by negating the importance of it and allowing it to perpetuate. Like these are cycles. And as Bob said, oh, well, she stayed with him. Most abuse victims stay with their abuser for multiple reasons. And I suggest that uh, a simple Google search will bring up a ton of articles that you can read on why a lot of women stay. And especially when they're with a man of power, such as Udubal Herrera, who has money. He's in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, he's from another country. So there, these are really deep and multifaceted issues that just aren't as black and white as I think the Major League Baseball and the Phillies and writers would like to make them. And I think before we go, you know, we go further with these conversations is that when you're writing about domestic violence or when you're trying to advocate that this is okay and then trying to compare it, you know what I mean? People are comparing it to Pete Rose and this and that, like they're not the same thing. And you need to educate yourself on what what it's like to be a domestic violence, violence abuse victim and then write on whether or not I, I, it's okay. I, I've read much about it, Natalie, and, and, I, and you're exactly right about many of these women stay and... and I, and I, and, and my thing is, my thing is, I understand. I understand that the Phillies, you know, the ten million dollars that they own. There's a two point five million dollar buyout that they'll have after the fact. I understand that there's a lot of red tape around the situation with Hadu with Odubel. However, it's it's if you're going to have the conversation around it, like this isn't this isn't the hill to die on when it comes to well, he needs a second chance. Let him go back. Let him play the game. Let him see if he makes the team, and then deal with it. But but bringing it to the forefront as sort of like a like to kind of pass the buck and say, well, enough time has passed like that's not that's not justifying and it'll never do justice to what could have potentially happened in that hotel room had he gone any further with what he allegedly did. We're, we're, uh, I understand all that. I mean, there's a, there's another part of this too. Uh, a lot of people in the organization last year didn't understand why they didn't at least send him to the satellite camp where there were no fans and there was you know it was just a chance for him to to play baseball in in front of nobody and perhaps um get his career back together which i, I didn't understand that either why wouldn't you let him go in, in in front of no fans to try to uh you know a get to see you know i, I think you can get a feel for a person how remorseful they are by being around him. there's no there's no way to tell sure but the, the, the broader point and this is abusers are always sorry too i mean they're always sorry after the fact you know i know but answer can you answer this question i don't know if anybody can answer this question 
Uh, I don't know if I've ever gotten a good answer to this question. And I, why should I care if he goes play and plays baseball by himself in a stadium? Do, am I supposed to feel bad for him? No, my, but my my point is, and I've gotten emails from from people who are in, in front of uh, who are, are part of domestic violence groups, but and I've never got a good answer on this question. Is it possible for somebody to domestically abuse his wife or spouse or whatever? and then have them be together for the rest of their life and have a normal relationship. Is that possible? I assume so, but that's not what the um, problem is. It's, it, this is a baseball player who allegedly, who att allegedly attempted to strangle his girlfriend and whether or not he should play for the Phillies. I don't really care about their future. So I said to him, you don't even know what it's like to be a domestic violence victim. And he goes, oh, well, you know, like my dad was a parole officer and believes that people in, like have second chances. And I was like, but you don't know what you're talking about. Well, and again, you said, <laughs> did you do research on what's it like to be a domestic violence victim? Did you talk to somebody who was a domestic violence victim? His response was his dad was a parole officer. Right. He's it's like the same thing where, where I go, where I go, you know. There was just this woman on, on on six ABC's Facebook and I couldn't help it. And I hate to like argue with people in the comments on Facebook, but she was just being like a, just a typical racist. And, and I was like, you understand that, that growing up is you grow up in, in extreme poverty. It's so much harder to get ahead than somebody who already is upper middle class or wealthy and she's like well my grandparents came over on the boat and my dad i'm like stop using that it was 1900 like even my uncle tony like i love uncle tony but he's like you know when i was 25 years old and i had to move to connecticut to get a job i was like uncle tony the world is different there was no internet the economy is global now there was no stock market then like yeah yeah, like, it, and so that's what makes me crazy is that like, it's just this old, old, old thinking. And the fact that like his first response was like, well, my dad's a parole officer. You're a fucking journalist. How about you understand and go speak to somebody that was a victim of domestic violence? Well, and that's, and that's a, essentially like what I alluded to. I was like, if, if you're going to write about this and if you're going to try, and I said, you're minimizing it. I said, you're yeah. minimizing the severity of the crime and of, and of the problem by, by not being educated on the subject matter yeah. at all. So like, I don't think you should talk about it at yeah. all. I don't think you are qualified. Just like people think I'm not qualified to talk about sports because I never played them. Well, let me tell you something. I'm a woman and I know many domestic violence victims. I've witnessed it firsthand in my life and I... I'm somebody who's very educated on it. So like, you don't think I can talk about baseball? I don't think you should talk about domestic violence. Like that's how yeah. I, that's how I feel anymore is just, you need to be better if you're yeah. going to try and speak on these issues that have such weight, because this isn't, this isn't even like 2010, this isn't even 2015. Like we've come so far since then when it yeah. comes to stuff like this. And it's like, I don't know if maybe like organizations need to be better or more thoughtful to their approach on having like think pieces, think pieces like this or like sports, whatever. Maybe they should let me write for them. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. But is there uh, a woman writer for the Inquirer? Um, they had, 
there I Megan was the athletic Sarah did Sixers for the Inquirer um they don't have any women on the on their sports beats but um Bob's a column columnist so their columnist Bob Brookover he was the one who did that shit piece on the domestic violence thing and then Marcus Hayes comes out and uses Carson's religion against him as some sort of like negative in his in his th- groundbreaking thought provoking piece i'm just like get like you're just like old dudes and you don't even know what the fuck is yeah. going on like just be better humans be better humans and it here's like, it's thing. not even controversial like you're just ass you're just an asshole well and here here's what i think is so interesting is everybody was so quick to throw around oh cancel culture cancel culture it's cancel culture it's not cancel culture. It's people are finally being held accountable yeah. for what they say and do. Yeah. This stuff was horrible in 2015, in 2010, in 1985. It was never okay. It was just that people didn't have a voice that they do now. And people who are being affected are fucking sick of it. Yeah. And now, and finally in 2021, people are like, guess what? You don't get to say the N-word on video and ush brush this under the rug, even if you are the star of country music, Morgan Wallen, and you don't get to say that, you know, a woman is a whore on your Instagram and not be held accountable for it. And Chris Harrison from The Bachelor, you don't get to say that it's okay that an 18-year-old went to a plantation party. It's not okay. An antebellum party was never okay in 2017 it was the fact that no one was held accountable for it and now there are more minority voices who are like this is not okay and people are finally being held accountable and that is in cancel culture it's called accountability and freedom of speech you idiots means freedom of it means the government is not going to control what you say it doesn't mean that there's no consequences from other people or other businesses well and i think it's i can't and again back i know that we keep talking about the britney spears documentary but it was so eye-opening about the way that you know the media has constructed the narrative um surrounding a lot of topics particularly for women surrounding how women should be portrayed and how they are treated and and what the standard is for women and i I just keep, I keep thinking about that. And that's where I'm at now. I'm just like, we need to be better with who we're getting to tell the stories and, yeah. who, we're, and who we're getting to, you know, have this platform to kind of like shape the messaging around whatever it is, because the, I, you know, I kind of have this, be- like, there's still this belief that like any sort of controversy is good controversy, but like, I don't really think there's anything controversial about domestic violence. Like that's not, that's not, that's not a this side or that side thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not a, that's not a conditional thing. And that's why I'm like, we have to stop. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Right. Yeah. No, like that, like those days are over. Yeah. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. First of all, that's a completely outdated way to think. And the only reason that existed was because this country was founded by white dudes. Rich right. white and, dudes and poor white dudes. Well, and rich white dudes have been the ones who have been telling the stories. And correct. They're they're the puppet masters, right? Because they're the ones who are making the decisions from the top down. So yep. they're impacted and they're affected when they're not in control of the story anymore. 
Yeah. And they're not, really- they're not telling it the way that they want it to be told to control things. Yeah. And that's the beauty of social media is that Jennifer Weiner, who's an, who's a chiclet author that lives in Philadelphia and she's had huge books. She did in her shoes. That was the, oh, yeah, she's camera- amazing. She, Mike used to work with her. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. She's amazing. And in the last book, Big Summer, that I read this past summer, there was a passage in there about social media. And it said, the beauty of social media is that it gives everybody a voice. It's not rich white dudes sitting in a room a- a- across the table from each other deciding the story. It's everybody could has their own story now. Yeah. And, and you know, she said it obviously way more eloquently, eloquently, eloquently than I am. Yeah. But it was so important because I think that so many people are, they think it's cancel culture and it's not cancel culture. It's, it's you're being held accountable. Do I think that people should be allowed to make mistakes? Yes, but you got to own it. And then you got to put the work in, you know, obviously I'm in country music. Morgan Wallen said the N word on video and it was the narrative of that. Like he has to put the work in. You can't just like give a stupid apology no, like it's, it's, that's not okay anymore. The fact that somebody has the N word so top of mind, you know, and then it's the, well, what about the rappers, the rappers? Well, first of all, you, the rappers don't say the N word on the radio, number one, because it's bleeped out. And number two, they're black. And you don't know what it's like to live in the inner city of Atlanta. And you don't know what it's like to grow up like they grew up. So you know what? They're allowed to say the word. You're white. Just don't say the word. Right. <laughs> don't say it. Why, why do you have this thing where you feel so, enti- it's the entitlement. It's, it's the entitlement. And like, it's just this, it's just this weird control thing. And I don't know what people think that they're going to lose by being a better human, Person. by just being a better human to- that's all it is. Is it like to your fellow American? And I, I use that line a lot and I use it a lot on the air because I think that like, especially over this past year with all, there's so much has happened, like all the civil unrest and the racial tension and all that stuff. Like for everybody who wants to be like, this is America. Yeah. That's an, they're Americans. Like we're all Americans here. Yes. And like, you don't care about America if you don't care about your fellow American. So like you're full of right. shit. Like that's, I, when we were doing um, those shows over the, um, the summer, Floyd yeah. protest, like that's what I kept harping on. And I kept using the word American and Americans because it's a unifying word, right? And it's not divisive. And I don't know why there's still people who are so comfortable denying that fact, because it's like, if we were to go to war with, I don't know, Russia, whatever. I'm just totally making this up. Um, Is it going to matter what color you are? Like when you're on the battlefield next to each other, or are you all going to be aligned fighting as Americans? Like, and you hear these stories, right. Of where like people go to war and they fight next to like, it's a racist from like, you know, Georgia. And, you know, it's like a black dude from like Philly, you know, and they go and they like fight together and they become like really good friends. But it's like, I don't understand like how we as a society, especially in American culture are still just so comfortable being so divisive while claiming that you're trying to preserve America because it's such bullshit. It's such bullshit. And like, it's so interesting because um, I was talking to my aunt Janet yesterday. She's 72. She just broke a wrist. God love her. She fell on ice. Um, But 
she has the doctor was like so impressed because she works out all the time that she has bones of a 50 year old so like they're like you could most people in their 70s would have broke a hip she just broke her wrist so thank god but um she's just a badass and super liberal and um she was just saying like there's so many people that she had been i mean she's 72 that she's been friends with for like 50 years that like she doesn't even want to talk to anymore because of just how everything is so how, how you know how they're just in such a la la land and, and you know she's been going to tammy her hairdresser for like over 20 years and like she fights with tammy every time she goes because tammy's a trump lover and at the end of the day it's like the trump world is what caused this yeah i mean i i talk about all the time that i mean i was on the biggest loser i lived with 18 people and like 200 crew members for almost five months and like politics didn't come up once. Right. Right. And right. so the last four years, what it did was that because of social media and because Trump allowed Aziz Ansari did a whole, he did an SNL bit about it, about like Trump allowed the secret racist to come out of the closet. That like before Trump racists knew they had to stay in the closet. And that they they knew they weren't allowed to say certain things, that it wasn't okay to actively be racist. Even though if you would have thought about it, like you knew better that you couldn't do it. Yeah. Trump allowed everybody to feel like they could say whatever they want. Yeah. Because of social media, people posted all of our social media and families were damaged and friendships were damaged. And and what the what that side, what the stereotypical Trump conservative side wants to say is well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Well, no, no, no. You could have an opinion on taxes. You could have an opinion on gun control. Although I don't think you Yeah, you can have an opinion on policy. But you can't have an you can't have an opinion on humans. And what's going on now has existed since the start of the country. It's just no one had a voice except the rich white people who are set in the narrative and now other people finally have a voice and so this is what's happening and so it's like you're not and, and, and at the end of the day these majority of these racist people these angry 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 people they're scared of losing quote unquote power but the irony is they don't have any power right not they anymore not anymore. And I, I also like believe that that's why like all the networks are freaking out and they're like, the internet is taking over, blah, blah. Well, like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is like you. Yeah. And it's cutting money out of your pocket because you're not getting the sponsorships anymore because like advertisers are going after like specific targeted audiences. But oh. like this is I'm going to post this meme. Can you see this meme? And so it's just like <laughs> old white guy in a suit and there's like a guy a white guy that looks like blue collar and then there's a whether it's like a hispanic or a black guy and the rich white guy has all the cookies and he's pointing to the white guy saying that foreigner wants your cookies but all reality he's the one with the cookies yeah and he's always and like and he's always he's gonna always, hold on to the cookies. always the one with the cookies yeah and yet these two are going to be at war, but this is the one that's controlling everything. Not anymore. We are changing it. We are changing it right here on the Lipstick League. We are. And, it, you know, and I think I was, I was talking to my boss and he said something pretty simple, but good. He was like, unfortunately, um, you can't 
change history overnight. Like it does take time. And that like made me feel better. Cause I was, I was really upset about the Morgan wall and stuff because I loved him and was obsessed and it was really difficult for me. And um, he was just like, but the conversations that we're having now in country music wouldn't have even happened five years ago. Yeah. But, but I mean, they had a panel with Luke Holmes and, you know, on diversity, like that would have never happened five years ago. So like it may, for me, it's too slow, but like the fact that we're still having the conversations, you know what I mean? And the fact that you are able to push back and say like, you need to do more research on domestic violence to speak on it, you know? And it, it, it might not seem like enough in the moment, but the fact that we're still able to have these conversations is moving in the right direction. And even like when I watched that Britney Spears documentary, what really shocked me was how the media treated her and how, and Halsey tweeted about it and Haley Williams from Paramore tweeted about it and Sam Smith tweeted about it, how that would never happen today. Mm -hmm. And there's people who are activists that, that fight for things and give their lives for things that it might take 20 years for it to happen, but eventually it happens. But those brave, brave, brave souls that like fight for the change. And I always just, you know, I always just want to support that. And it's hard for me when there are people, it's like, I look at some people, I'm like, why don't you want to be loving? Like, why don't you want to be accepting? I you know. I, I think they're just like unhappy, like in their own lives. Totally. totally. They like to bring people down, but Totally. Well, yeah, I mean, we talk about trolls a lot and about how people who are trolls are actually very angry and miserable in their own life. And they might not even know why they feel that way, you know? Yeah, I think, I do think that we're trending in a better direction. Yeah. And sometimes it's like cleaning your house, right? When you clean your house and you have to take everything out of the drawers and everything out of the cabinets and you have to like, things need to be thrown away and then other dishes need to be put back and there's you don't, there's a donate pile and it, your house literally looks like a disaster. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it looks pristine. And sometimes it has to get messy before it looks pristine. And that yeah. is where we are now. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have a breakdown before you have a, a breakthrough. That is correct. So maybe that's also to wrap this up, the what's happening with the Eagles. <laughs> We'll see. Full circle, full circle. I don't, I don't know about that. Look at Ginge. Hey, Ginge. I mean, she knows how to pose. I love it. I know, in her little perch. Um, all right. So follow us, please. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, this was a long one. So thanks everybody for hanging and listening to this two-part episode of uh, the Lipstick League. Yeah. So this will be whether, whatever, however you're listening. We thank you and um. Please, 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 if you can, leave us a review on yeah. iTunes. Um, we did get one new review, which is good, but it helps with the algorithm. So we thank you. Mwah. Mwah. I know. I know.